How's everybody doing? Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. You know, that made me want to give. That's fantastic. That's so good. Sorry. If you haven't figured it out, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously around here, but we do take Jesus really seriously. So if you got your Bible, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 18. And man, I tell you what, this is an epic, epic story and narrative in scripture. And if you haven't, if you weren't with us last week, or if you haven't been at OCC um, in the past, we have a series that we do, comes in and out of our yearly and our annual rhythm. It's called Come and Listen. And we look at the individual narratives in scripture, these individual stories of God's faithfulness, these real stories. These are like real locations and things that happen um, and how God was faithful. But then we move out to the overarching narrative of scripture, which leads us to the most amazing news and the most amazing person. And his name is Jesus, to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It's the reason that we're here, like so far from the Middle East where all this happened, this amplification of this news has spread over 2000 years. And we have believers in this, in this room. We have people that are, are trying to figure it out, like trying to, like there's, there must be something more than this as we live through 2020. And I'm so glad that you're here, but that is what the Come and Listen series is about. And this story is an epic narrative. I mean, we all love like hero stories. Um, and there is heroes in the Bible, and I'll get into that in a minute, but there's something about the psychology of the narrative of the hero's story, like for, for, for the human race. Like we, we dig, we lean into even really crazy fantasy hero stories. I remember in 1977, Star Wars came out. I mean, that tells you I was excited about Star Wars, how old I am. Um, I was about six or seven years old. And I mean, it took over for me. Like it was one of those things, if you grew up, who grew up like when Star Wars came out, like that was my jam. All right, my people. Um, when, when it came out, it was like, it took over like everything, every Christmas for, I don't know how many Christmases, it was Star Wars figures. It was like, I'm gonna get the entire Millennium Falcon. I wish I'd have kept that. I could put a down payment on a house with that money, right? But I mean, amazing that just, you know, playing, you know, lightsabers in the front yard, whacking your brother, you know, hoping you were, you were Han Solo or Luke Skywalker Han Solo really after you got into the series and your neighbor was Princess Leia. You're like, man, she's got the buns going over here. You know, we might, you know, as we work this thing out, you know, put the lightsaber down. Let's go see where Princess Leia is. I mean, we loved some Star Wars. We love the hero narrative. My wife's not in this service. So that's probably why I'm letting it loose, right? Um, I'm kidding. Gosh, I'm going to get in so much trouble. But these hero stories, we're psychologically, and, and for those of you that, that know me, I, I you know, I, I do love thinking about how humans think and how we operate and how we react to the world around us and what's inside of us because God created eternity in the hearts of men. And he, he did something, he, this nagging existential itch that leads us to something. And it's amazing that the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is more my kids' contemporary, kind of where it's happened, and uh, they've taken in over $22.5 billion in the last 12 years, since the Iron Man series premiered 12 years ago. And we're so drawn to these films, so much so that when Chadwick Boseman died, and if you don't know who he is, you know, Wakanda, come on, Black Panther, anybody. If you don't know, I can't help you. You can internet it. If You probably don't have the internet if you don't know. Um, <laughs> but people were really like, I, I read some articles in Psychology Today that said it, this crushed people when this guy died. And he's not, I mean, he's, he's an amazing guy, but not a, a real hero. Like there, there's this thing that, we're, we, that we, we even grieve these people that we've, We've hinged some hope to. And it's amazing that the, the human heart does that. We begin to attach things to people that aren't actually the hero. 
I mean, think about the broken, you know, way that we're, you know, hoping that a hero rises up even in the political realms. And it's, it's, it's what we do as human beings. And we've seen it play out here even in 2020. Now in scripture, I think sometimes, and, and maybe I've even said this in here, you know, these stories, like when we look at the stories of, of just the heroic nature of the story of David and Goliath, you're not David. I mean, these are, these are pictures in the Come and Listen series is all about this, of a future hope that we have. They are the lesser Christ that are leading us to the actual Jesus who did die, who did come back to life by the power of God, healing an amazing thing, the healing, the, the most destructive thing in our lives, which is sin. It was leading us to death. But every other story, every hero's story is actually a lesser hero's story leading us to the actual hero. Don't put yourself in the story like, I gotta be like David and defeat the giants. Jesus is the one who defeats your giant, right? So, but there is something about, if we just lead people completely away from some of the amazing people in scripture, I think we've been unfaithful to scripture. In Hebrews 13, seven, it says this, it says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I mean, we're not just people, we're not just beggars trying to lead other people to the place where they can find bread. There's actually things that we can imitate out of scripture. There's people that we can look at. Now, are these people Jesus? Are they actual hero of the story? No, but are there things that they do really well and things that are honorable in the eyes of God? Absolutely, yes. And as we look at the book of Kings, it's hard to find one of those guys. But in this story, we've got Hezekiah. So we do find somebody that in the midst of a horrible climate in terms of paganism, in terms of the Israelites being kind of down, having a series, I mean, I would say all of the kings in some way were bad, all 40. But there was about eight that kind of borderline had some good traits. Josiah ends up being a good king later on down, the great, great grandson of Hezekiah. But most of these guys aren't really good. Now, if you weren't here um, last week when I did the whole catch up, I can't help you. We started in Genesis and worked our way all the way up to Kings because we always do so we can get caught up in our series. Um, but I do want to get into the Kings a little bit and show you where we are before we launch into this so you understand because we're moving forward. Last week we were in Second uh, Kings chapter 7. We're in 18 this week. So I throw up the first slide and I know there's a lot here. Yeah, you can't see. I was worried about this. You can't read it, but I'll kind of work through some of this. So if you look up here, you've got the timeline. This comes right after the very top of this timeline is moving down the page. You've got the, the split kingdoms of Israel. So you've got Israel up to the north. You've got Judah, which is the capital city is Jerusalem. Northern kingdom, Samaria is the capital. Now the, the northern kingdom, all bad kings, all pagan, absolutely awful. They are not doing well. Things have gone really south. And if you go down through the trajectory of all of them, you can see it just says evil, evil, evil. They just did. They were bad. Some you have good, evil, good, evil over here. In Judah, in the southern kingdom, you have some. And this actually shows you who was the prophet that was trying so desperately to lead these people to God, was hearing the voice of God and saying, hey, God's telling you to quit it. And they're not quitting it. Kings is a lot like judges. I mean, if you were around when we preached through judges, it's, it's the same cycle letting us know that we need the king of kings. It's why Samuel, when all this king's business launched off, said, hey, you have the king of kings. Why do you want an earthly king? They're like, we want an earthly king. He's like, okay, I'm going to give you what you want, and you're going to see how it goes. This is how it goes. Evil, evil, evil. A little bit of good. Evil, evil, evil. I mean, it's just not really that awesome. And then you travel all the way down, and you, the bottom right here, and this isn't the whole trajectory of all the kings, but you see something that happens. 
All of a sudden, right here, this is where the first captivity happens, the Assyrian captivity. So um, Hosea is the king in the northern kingdom. Samaria is overtaken. The, the Assyrians are just absolutely dominating. And Hezekiah is still in the south, and he is the king of Judah. And that's where we find ourselves in the story. So you got the first Assyrian captivity. Now, if you go to the next slide, just so we can kind of go through Okay, this is where we end up. So you've got the first captivity. Northern kingdom is taken off to Assyria. Just the, the Israelites are dispersed. And then as we get to the end of 2 Kings, Judah goes into Babylonian captivity. And you can see what, what you've got in terms of the, uh, the prophets that are kind of in that season. You know, that's, that, those are, that's why we see the Bible kind of overlays. It's not all chronological. So you have to go back and sometimes read it together. What's amazing about this story is we go back, you can take those down. When you go back into the story of Hezekiah, it's, it's, you've got three different vantage points. It's pretty amazing, three different perspectives. So if you read the stories and you kind of go and say, okay, I wonder what 2 Chronicles chapter 32 says about Hezekiah. What is 2 Kings chapter 18? What is the book of Isaiah? You all of a sudden, you get some clarity to this narrative and I'm telling you, it is amazing. Like, it is one of the craziest you know, uh, stories about a massive battle that was getting ready to happen. But if, as you look at the story of Hezekiah, he actually was trying to correct years and years and years and years of idol worship, of just absolutely disaster seasons for the Israelites, for uh, the nation of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. And he comes in, even after a horrible King Ahaz, he comes in and this is what it says about him. Second Kings chapter 18, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah. I mean, I could say that's a big statement, but <laughs> there wasn't many good ones. So either before him or after him. So of the kings of Judah, he was top notch. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands of the Lord that he had given Moses and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. I love that they make that point. Like the guy wasn't just a guy that decided to do good things. It actually, because he was following the Lord, it made him effective as a leader. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. And from the watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. You see right there at the very beginning, and we're gonna kind of progressively, I'm just gonna, we're just gonna go through the story today. I think the, the, the Bible is that awesome. Like the sermon today, I mean, I could come up and say, this is gonna be the best sermon ever. If the only reason it's gonna be good today is because the Bible's so good. The first thing he does is he cleans house. Like he comes along and he absolutely changes the, the fabric. He goes into the temple, takes all the idols out of the temple. He goes to the high places, takes down the Asherah poles. He cleans house and returns them to worshiping, worshiping the Lord. And the people actually followed him. I mean, you don't even hear about any kind of like people biting back and saying, we don't wanna give up all this stuff. And maybe there was some of that, but he was effective. He was, what, what you find out about him is he was very diplomatic actually but uncompromising. Like it seems like those things don't work together. But as you read in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 2 Chronicles chapter 32, which it is good to read them both because you see amazing things in both. Um, you see that he was very diplomatic in the way that he did things. Like people actually liked the guy. Like people dug, dug Hezekiah. And he was uncompromising and unwavering in his faith towards God. 
Like he did not let things break down. He wasn't, he wasn't put under pressure from outside sources to change the way that he did things. Every king before him would fold along the way. They would get help from this guy or get help from this guy. And they say, oh yeah, we should probably worship their God just because they gave us a little hand here in this little battle over here. He didn't do any of that, but he is still diplomatic. He was still very uncompromising in the way that he operated and the way that he did things. Um, and I just thought about this, you know, being surrounded by a foreign land, but a citizen of another country, right? He's a citizen of another country. It's what, the way they operated. It was returning Israel and returning Jerusalem to this place of being a city on a hill that the surrounding country would see their good deeds, would see what they were doing and that they would give glory to their father in heaven. That was actually his goal, Hezekiah's goal, as you read this book, as you read 2 Chronicles account of this book, his goal was for Israel to not dominate everything, to not overrun everything, but to be a city on a hill, a light, a beacon, to say that God is the only God. And he was very good and very successful at it. And I think about where we are. I mean, we mistakenly call, I think, our, our country a a, that we are a Christian nation founded on God, which is true. There was a lot of um, biblical principles and Christian foundation, but we, we are living in pagan times. I and mean, we would have to admit the things that we are in the middle of as Christians, we have to live in this world, but, but it's, we're called to be a light unto the world. Is it time for us to evaluate beyond, you know, what's happening? I'm, I'm avoiding the, the, you know, the political firebomb because today is really about Jesus and only Jesus but to clean our own houses individually, to stop looking outward and think, what is it that we've adopted into our world? What is it that we've brought into our lives? What is it that we're doing that everybody else does that's all of a sudden become normal? We've become callous to, whether it's television, whether it's what we stream on Netflix. And I'm not telling you to kill all your streaming accounts. I, I, watch, that, I watch stuff on Netflix, I watch streaming accounts but I need to be held to account and you need to be held to account. What are we watching? It's too easy to privately, I mean, I watch, you know, kids, they get their phone in a corner and they're watching the 900th episode of whatever on their phone and nobody really knows what they're watching. In the world that we live in, we can be here and enjoy the, the benign gifts of God's grace. And we, we, live the, the, we live at the beach. I mean, that's God's common grace to us. You know, if you live on the West side, I'm sorry, God loves us more. I'm just saying, but I'm just, there's things that we can enjoy in God's creation that are amazing. But there's also things that have the slow drift of compromise that find their ways into our lives. And I just think that's, what an amazing thing to follow when it comes to how Hezekiah was. He was a diplomat. He lived, he lived in the world that he lived in. He, didn't, he knew that what he wanted people to do is not be angry with him because he, he loved God, but he wanted them to see his good deeds, see who he was as a human being in following God, that they might glorify God as well. And then all of a sudden, so we, we've got him cleaning house and then the Assyrians lay siege to Jerusalem. So the Assyrians were becoming or were already the, the, the most powerful nation on planet earth. I mean, they were absolutely whooping butt. They had, they had already overtaken 46 countries, basically, states and countries in the surrounding area, 46. And they, were, they had a massive army. They were very skilled. They were very pagan. They were treacherous, uh, scorched earth policy. They killed everything and everyone if you did not surrender. And then when you did surrender, they, the things that they did, I won't even go into all the detail of what they did, were absolutely horrible. 
I mean, just fear, treachery, and they had already done this in the Northern Kingdom. So Hezekiah knows the Northern Kingdom, Hosea has already been defeated. People have been scattered. A lot of the Israelites have been scattered all over the place in the Middle East and been made slaves. He's, and, and now all of a sudden you've got this little, there's probably inside of Jerusalem, there's probably only 10,000 people at this time. And then Judah is not a massive place. And so now they're under siege. They've got 200, they estimated around 250,000 Assyrian troops had surrounded Jerusalem. And you've got a guy that comes out, a commander to bring a message to Hezekiah to say, you guys need to surrender. So this guy comes up and he just starts, you know, popping off, making, mocking God, mocking the Israelites. And then Hezekiah sends out his administrators or they, they know that that's their job. He's got all the people. Now, prior to this, Hezekiah knew what was happening because he was smart too. He lined everybody up, supplied the military with what they needed, got everybody on the wall. I mean, he was prepared for battle. He actually cut off, you read the second Chronicles, he cut off the water to the outside of the city. Like he had a way to shut down all the water in the aqueduct. So the guy wasn't just like, I love Jesus and we're just gonna, you know, love Jesus and it's all gonna win. No, he was smart and did things that he needed to do to win the battle because they didn't have anything to drink outside the city. So the commander comes up and just starts mocking and saying whatever he wants uh, to the people on the wall, trying to convince everybody to surrender. And then the PR guys for Hezekiah come out and they're like, hey, can we talk to you for a minute? And the guy's like, look, you need to surrender. We are going to lay waste to this joint. It's not gonna go well for you. And they say, hey, you're mocking our God and you're doing it in Hebrew. Can you please stop? These people, you're gonna, you're gonna, this is not gonna go well. They're trying to be diplomatic and trying to work things out. You keep talking all this smack in Hebrew, these people are gonna get even more angry than they already are. So this is what happens. This is how this guy responds. In verse 27, he says, was it only to your master, who was Hezekiah, and to you, the PR guys, that my master sent these things to say, and not to the people on the wall? who like you will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine. You won't find that in the Jesus storybook Bible. Verse 28, then the commander stood and called out, listen to this, he called out in Hebrew, he didn't care. He said, hear the word of the great king of Assyria. This is what the king says, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. you cannot, he cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand. When he tells you that this city will not be given into the, the, the hand of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He continues, if you read the scripture, continues to mock God saying, we've, we've crushed all the gods. We've burned them all in every, all 46 states and countries that we've defeated. We've taken all of their gods and we have burned them. We have destroyed them. We have ended them. Your God will not help you. And then, I love this, Hezekiah speaks to the people. Unwavering, diplomatic, but he knew when not to compromise. Second Chronicles 32, um, if you wanna jump over there, make a mark or put a reference in there as you're reading Second Kings chapter 18, it's helpful because um, you'll find a lot of uh, good information there. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because, because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. Listen to this. For there is a greater power with us than with them. Now look, there's 10,000 of them inside the city walls. There's 250,000 Assyrian troops 
bloodthirsty Assyrian troops. He goes on and says, with them or with him is only the arm of flesh, but with us, the Lord, our God, to help us and to fight our battles. And listen to this. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah said. I love that. You know, I, I think even, even, even where we are in our season today, I, I've, I've watched people be mocked for doing exactly this in this season, to push people towards God. Like that we, more than anything, we need to, to put our hope in God. We need to put our hope in Jesus, to, to believe and know that God is actually above the arm of anyone's flesh, that nobody, human beings are not more powerful than God by a long shot. But in our society, in our world, I've, I've listened to pastors get mocked and challenged on that in terms of what they're saying and how they're leading their people. And I love that Hezekiah didn't compromise. He said, no, this is where your hope's gonna be. It is not gonna be in a, in a, in a political realm. It is not gonna be in one leader or the next. It's not gonna be in some sort of change that's gonna happen because of human beings. It will be because God wills it, because God does what he wants to do. God leads the way that he wants to lead. And God actually responds to his people in prayer is what we'll see. As you continue to see here, the, the Assyrian king, after Hezekiah speaks to the people, his commander or his, his, uh, his PR guys go back to Sennacherib, the, the Assyrian king, and he sends a letter to Hezekiah because he knows he hasn't surrendered yet and he's still got his people on the wall. He's got two, he's 250,000 people surrounding the city. And I'll just give you the, 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 the highlights of that letter. He, he basically says, hey, uh, Hezekiah, you're a dead man. You, we've defeated every God in every surrounding country and we've burned all of them. Your God does not have the power to save you. We do whatever we want. We have ascended to the heights, everything. And he has all, all this language of all the accomplishments that he's had in his time as the king of Assyria. We've, we've ascended higher than your God. You could send whatever you want, send the armies of God, send a thousand angels, send 10,000, do whatever you want, we are going to win. Your God is nothing. We will destroy you. Don't lead your people to your worthless God. Continually mocking God. So what does Hezekiah do next? I love this. Hezekiah prays. I love what he does. And, and we're going to go back, actually go back to, when we finish this story, we're going to go back to this prayer. He prays. He lays out this letter that he gets, he goes into the temple and he prays to God and asks God to change the circumstance. He knows the odds are against him, 10,000 versus 250,000. And he petitions God in the moment. It says, God, we need you to respond. And then Isaiah, who was the contemporary prophet at the time, comes back to him, doesn't even know that he's gone to the temple and prayed. And Isaiah says, I don't know what just happened in the heavenlies, but... God's responded and I, I've got a word from the Lord. I got a word from the Lord to the king of Assyria and I've got a word from the Lord from you. And he responds and, and in, his, in his word, it basically is trumpeting the words of God saying, king of Assyria, I know who you are. I know where you live. I know where your family lives. I know everything about you. Everything that you've accomplished, everything you have done has not been outside my sovereign will. I do what I want. Didn't you know? Haven't you heard? 
that everything that you see, the sun, the moon, the, the stars, everything that's around you, everything that's ever been created, I have created it. You will not enter, in, 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 enter inside the city walls. You will go back the way you came and you will not live. And then he says, and for you, Hezekiah, I've heard your prayer. I've heard your prayer and I will spare the city. Sennacherib and his men will leave and they will go back the way that they came. And then, and, and then this, amazing. Verse 35, you can jump past that section, past 34, where it says that God will defend the city and save it. And then verse 35, it says, that night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. And when the people got up the next morning, there was all the dead bodies. I love that there's an exclamation point there. Can you imagine 185,000? So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. And he returned to Nineveh and stayed there. I would imagine, right? I mean, I love that you've got this guy, the, the king of Assyria is talking all this smack there's a prayer from one man that finds its way to, go, to the ears of God. And then all of a sudden, not, he didn't send down 10,000 angels. He didn't send down a legion. He didn't send down, he sent one. God's like, you know, we could send a whole crew, but I think Freddie can handle this one. You know, Freddie hadn't been doing anything in a while. Who are we gonna send, Gabriel? No, Gabriel gets to do all the fun stuff. Send Freddie. He's gonna go down there, 185,000. It is amazing to me in that story. It's almost as if God was like, you know, we're just gonna send one to make a point. As you continue in this story, it's pretty amazing. Um, and then it gets pretty sad at the end, but Hezekiah becomes ill is the next thing that you see. And he prays and he asks for a sign. We'll move past this pretty quickly. He Hezekiah, he prays and asks for a sign from Isaiah. He says, how will I know if God has heard my prayer, that I want, I want to live. And Isaiah initially tells them, hey, the word of the Lord is that you're going to die. I mean, he just tells them. And he says, I'm going to pray. And he goes and he prays. He comes back to Isaiah. How will I know that God has heard my prayer? He says, well, if God's heard your prayer, you know how the shadows work on the ground. Like, you know, the shadows move in this particular direction in our region of the country. If, if the sun's moving this way, the shadow moves forward. If the sun moves this way, or the, the sun's moving this way, it, it will always move forward because that's the direction of the sun. It can't ever change. In a normal day, you know, during this period of time, it would move 15 steps forward. If the, if, if the shadow that you see on the ground moves 15 steps back, then you'll know you'll be healed. And then guess what happens? The shadow moves 15 steps back, which blows my mind when you start to think about it because God changed the physical attributes of everything that we, that doesn't make sense about physics, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the way the earth rotates. I mean, I could get into that and geek out for a second, but the shadow went backwards. And he knew that he was gonna be healed, and he was. And then he lived in, in, uh, in prosperity, and God, the, the word from, from Isaiah was, God's heard your prayer. Now, what's interesting about this, we talk about the sovereignty of God, that God knows everything, God preordains things, God's doing everything. This is what's true about God when it comes to prayer, that God is sovereign in all that he does. Like, he, there is nothing that slips through his fingers. He's not watching the election going, oh, 
He's, he's not nervous. He just isn't. But guess what? Prayer changes things. The slender tendon that moveth the hand of omnipotence. Prayer. It doesn't make sense. How can these both exist? Is God sovereign? Yes. Does prayer work? Yes. What good news is that? Because I want him to be sovereign and on high. But I also want to be able to petition him and say, God, please, in this moment, change things. And he does. How does all that work? Mind blown. We're not God, right? But man, that is such good news for us today as we think about who Isaiah is or who, uh, who God is, who Hezekiah is, and how all of this works together. It's pretty incredible. Now, as the story continues, Isaiah or Hezekiah uh, is living in, in, in prosperity now in Israel. Enemies are gone. Things are going good in Jerusalem. Hezekiah is a good king. He's cleared house. He's done the right thing. And all of a sudden, some scribes come, some, some guys come, and they, they send a letter in advance. They say, we, we heard you're, you're ill, and we wanted to come by, and we heard you're prosperous. We wanted to check out your kingdom. We wanted to say, you know, bring you a covered dish. And they're coming from Babylon, who nobody had heard of at the time. Just a small little country, you know, just, you know, trying to make their way. And these guys come, and they, they, they want a tour around the kingdom. And so Hezekiah is like, oh, you can get a tour. And they're telling him how great he is. Like, I can't believe you've done all this. I can't believe this is where you live. I can't believe all the stores you have. Can you please show us all the stuff? Yeah, here's the safe. Here's the combo. Look at all the gold. Look at all the stuff in the temple. Look at the stuff here. Look at this. We'll take you over here. Look at the food stores and all the things that we have here. Look at all these wonderful people. Look at all these people. Look at all the guys. Look at all the girls. Look at all the children. Look at all the people, how happy they are. Can you look at our land, how plentiful it is? And he was all of a sudden believing his own press. Like, look what I have done. And Isaiah calls them out and says, hey, hey, who are those dudes that came in here? Who are these people touring around? They don't look like they're from Rangers. They're from Babylon or somewhere. I don't know. He says, this is the word from the Lord. It's funny to me, he says, this is the word from the Lord, but Isaiah probably could have deduced this on his own. This is the word from the Lord. Guess whatever. He goes, he's like, what he, he goes, what did you show them? He goes, I showed them everything. I toured them around the whole joint. I want to show them all the cool stuff that we got. And Isaiah says, this is the word from the Lord, dummy. He didn't say that. He said, everything that you've shown him will be carried off to Babylon. Everything that you've seen, everything that, everything that you've walked and shown them, everything that they've put their eyes on, everything that they wrote down, everything that they're bringing back in their minds will be taken away to Babylon. It won't happen today and it won't happen in your lifetime, but it will happen. And then Hezekiah's response is so sad. He goes, well, at least we'll have peace for a little while. So Hezekiah starts really great and ends in a bad place. And there's a reason for that. But I wanted to jump back into this place because what you see, actually, can you throw up that, that second timeline? And we'll see kind of how this all plays out in the future. So at the end of the story, we see Hezekiah up here. hundred years later, guess what happens? Judah into Babylonian captivity. Guess who becomes the most powerful nation on the planet earth? Babylon. Yep. Guess who gets towed away? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I love that because you get this timeline together and you start to see how all the pieces fit together. It's very helpful. It makes the Bible come to life when you realize these are real stories that will blow your mind. But why is this prayer that we didn't cover yet in three separate places in the Bible, this prayer that Hezekiah has? in the midst of this battle that was never gonna happen. 
Well, let's read the prayer. Verse 14 says, Hezekiah received a letter from the messengers and read it. So this, remember, this, we, if we're rewinding and playing in the story, we're back, Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, is going to mock God in his letter. Hezekiah reads it. And then it says, he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. I love that. He took what was troubling him with him into his prayer closet, into the temple, into the place, got out his journal, got out his pen, got out his stuff, said, let's lay it all out. Let's petition God. Sounds very familiar to me. Lay your request before the Lord. And he gets in that place with God to communicate with God. And then listen to how he communicates with God. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Lord, the, he didn't launch into help. It's not what he did. The Lord God of Israel enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. The first thing he does is he says, I know you're sufficient. I know you're over everything. I know you control things. I know you are Lord of all. I know you are the only God. You alone are God over all of the kingdoms of the earth. He says, you alone, you alone have made the heaven and the earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib that he has sent to you to ridicule the living God. He's like, Look at what this, this dude did. Look at what he is saying. He continues and says, It's true, Lord, the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand. But why? Listen, he says, So that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are our God. I, I need this prayer answered, but there is the overarching purpose of the reason this prayer should be answered is that the kingdoms will know that this place will be a city on a hill, not that this city is amazing, but that our God is amazing and that there is only one God, the God of the universe, the God that we worship. God, win this battle for us. Not because we're scared, not because we want to be awesome, not because we want to make a name for ourselves, but because we want people to know who you are. We want these surrounding countries to worship God. We want the world to worship God. That is what we want. That is what this kingdom wants. That's what, why you've placed us here. I love that he recognized God's sufficiency. And then he created. I love that he petitioned God and he laid out his request. He brought the letter in there with him. And I just want to point out just the power of prayer. Like it's the forgotten. In this season, and I am just as guilty as everybody, so this isn't a charge against everybody, but it is us together as the church. What have we done more? Have we talked more in 2020 or have we prayed more? Because I think, I think we need a lot less posting and a lot more praying. I mean, there's a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of people saying a whole lot of things, but are they saying them in their prayer closet with their journal out and their requests before God, or are they blasting them out into the Google sphere? No matter what it is, a lot more praying, a lot more on our knees, and not for our own sake, but for the glory of God, because that's why God has placed us here as a church. 
to be a city on a hill, to petition God, to cry out in a place that we're in, in the middle of this, not as a cop-out. People have said that's a cop-out, and I've seen it straight from the Google sphere, just leaning on God, saying, Jesus is king, sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus on his throne, and not doing anything. He is on his throne, and we need to petition him and ask him, God, in this moment, in this place in time, in this place in history, be glorified. You are Lord of all. I love the way that this models the, Jesus, when he's, at, when he's asked, how do we pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You see the glory of God. I'm, I'm recognizing who you are and then the petition of God. And then he ends the prayer with, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To, to God be the glory, but for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You see these, the same things in Hezekiah's prayer. We need to find a place where we spend time, less time walking around and having conversations with the other, stirring all the stuff up. And then saying, how is this going to change? One more post. I think we'll do it. <laughs> and again, I'm, I'm talking about me too. Like getting on my knees, getting on my knees in my house, in this office, in, in the places where I meet with God and begging him, say, God, for your glory and for your renown, change things right now. God, I pray that this little tribe right here, Ocean City Church, will be a city on a hill, that we will be diplomatic and uncompromising. And it will change things. It changes things to pray, to petition God and ask him to change things. Hezekiah was a great, a great leader. But although he was a great king, he wasn't the king. And it's the point of these books to begin with is to show us that no, nobody that we've laid our hope on on planet earth, the arm of flesh, I don't care how good they are. I don't care if they can rock it in Wakanda. They are not Jesus. Jesus is the only thing that saves. Nothing else does. It's why we exist as a church to invite people to experience that love, to experience that grace, to experience that forgiveness, but also to experience the power of being aligned with the God that created you and see it change the fabric of our world and the world around us. We're not giving up and biding our time until we get to heaven and see Jesus face to face. That's gonna be an amazing day where we, where we wish we would have done more while we're here. but we are trusting in him. We are putting our, our hope in him. Rather than getting wrapped up in false heroes, even biblical heroes that had massive flaws, prone to flattery, which would be downfall, prone to selfishness and myopia. It's interesting, I read an article about how we, we watch heroes and a band can come on up. I'm gonna end here. You've got a uh, social psychologist that studies this particular area is, is Dr. Endick, and he, and he talks about the modern superhero. He says, the modern superhero derived primary from comic books combines characteristics of classical heroes of Greco-Roman hero traditions with the more humble God-fearing heroes of the Judeo-Christian traditions. He says, that's what we're attracted to in the Marvel comics. 
This guy's not even a Christian. He goes on to unpack how most superhero stories follow the hero's journey. A pattern that first noted by Joseph Campbell in his book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Campbell called this thing the monomyth, put simply. Campbell claimed that heroes, be they classical like Homer's Ulysses or the modern one like Luke Skywalker, they go through these following stages. Again, this guy's not a Christian, but he says, this is what you see. He says, for whatever reason, people have always come back to the same place when they find their ultimate heroes. This is the phase of the story. The hero is called to leave the comfort of their ordinary world behind. They come down and in a new unfamiliar world, they face tests and enemies while also collecting allies. You can see this in Marvel comics. The hero experiences an ordeal that leads to death. The hero is resurrected and the hero returns to his allies and brings blessings with him. This monomyth is the story of Christ. Our culture's love for heroes, be they superheroes like Black Panther, wizards like Harry Potter, Jedis like Luke Skywalker, they reflect a yearning for something greater. They reflect something that only God can provide. And I don't know where everybody's come from today. I know it's been an exhausting week for some. I know that some are just ready to celebrate and jump up and down just because it's all over the election. But man, I tell you what, we've got such hope today. I felt it in the room today as we worship together. And I don't know what your life looks like. I know people always walk in here with brokenness, but man, I'm just telling you, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. The people that lead here in this church, the pe- a lot of people that I see and I know you, we, we believe this right here. I mean, you can go and, and look, you know what's incredible is you can go, uh, History Channel people can geek out for a second. You can, they found, like they went to the Sennacherib's, they, they, they un, in, in Nineveh unearthed a part of his palace. And you know what they unearthed? All of his victories, 46. And you know what it says at 47? It says, we surrounded Jerusalem. So all of them were victory, 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 victory. 47, we surrounded Jerusalem. And then it just drifts off and ends. That's what they found. And I love that right here in the Bible, we know what happened. I mean, he ended up getting killed by two of his sons and his other son took power. And then Assyria was defeated by the Babylonians later. Jesus only Jesus. Jesus, only Jesus. We want to lean towards Jesus in this season. That's why next week, and I encourage you to come. Some people are like, oh, it's a prayer and worship service. I'm not coming. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. To set aside intentional time for us together with one voice, with one heartbeat, like it says in Romans chapter 15, to lift up the name of Jesus and then petition God Almighty Himself to move the hand of omnipotence, not in our favor, but in the favor of the glory of God here on planet Earth. Let's do that together. Let's stand. God, we love you. We love who you are. We love that you've given us your word, a steady force. You say that everything will fade away grass withers, the flowers fade away, the word of the Lord will stand forever. God, we stand on it with all the sand and shifting things that seem to be surrounding us. 
we are so lucky that you've given us your word and you've given us your spirit. And most importantly, you've given us your son to lead us home. Just come Holy Spirit.